0: Hi, I'm Alan Eve. I'm listening to the Westfield Second Ward Family Podcast.
1: I'm excited to have an amazing story. Now, I've heard your story before, but our ward has split so many times and I know a lot of people haven't heard your story. So first of all, Alan, tell Ooh. us where you were born because it's the most different place of anybody in the world, I'd say.
0: I, I was born in Cambodia, Batambang, Cambodia. Batambang, mm-hmm.
1: okay so I know you told this in, pre, in priesthood meeting because you used to teach in Elder quorum mm-hmm. or, and um, this was the coolest priesthood lesson I've ever well actually you've done a few of them the most memorable lessons that have ever been have come from you in this hmm. ward I would say <laughs> <laughs> well, so bad. tell us how you came from Cambodia to the United States because that's <coughs> it's an incredible story
0: yeah I know and I always like to uh... To say that it's not there's a lot of there's a lot of refugee families that are in our uh, that were in the same shoes where um it was just just pretty bad overall you know we were there everything was fine and then um you know, i was born in 73 so around 75 you know the, this group formed or they, they had formed already but then they they really became more aggressive right around 75 and they started um Go into the uh, uh, the country area and confiscating the different villages, and then slowly moved in, and then. Is this is the Khmer Rouge. Yeah, this is the Khmer Rouge, and so by then they'd gotten into the 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 capital and um, kind of pretty much took over, and then you know their 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 first big. Uh, their their operation or the strategy was they would uh, they actually sent a uh, uh, kind of like a newsletter or just word of mouth whatever they could and they uh, messaged out to to request anybody who was educated anybody who really cared about the country to come to a certain area so uh, they were gonna have a big meeting try to figure out and get everybody's opinions and. on on how to really make Cambodia better. Well, you know, we heard about this, of course, when they came in. But actually, this was going on prior because we actually had my dad um, and a few of his friends who taught school, which, you know, back then, if you're you're a teacher, you're really well-respected. If you're an elder person, you're really well-respected. A bit different here in the States and in the U.S. Some of my dad's friends... Who had kind of some insights on what was going on? Um, actually, had left Cambodia back in '75, back in '72, '73, right? So they already knew something was going to happen. So this
1: is kind of the end of the Vietnam War era, oh,
0: right? Yeah, pretty darn close, right? Right around the same time, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, what's nice, what's 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 crazy is, like, I try to dig in and figure out what the real reasoning was and all that, and it's just so hard to kind of figure out and kind of decipher what's really true and legit. Well, I think
1: the U.S. bombing, because they were, they was bombed Cambodia.
0: They bombed Cambodia.
1: And that did not help the government in Cambodia, and uh-huh. I think that created a lot of instability yeah. that caused the Khmer Rouge to come to power, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I didn't find that out until a little bit later, but it's yeah. just, uh, just crazy stuff that that went on like that. And so then by around 75-ish, it got really bad. And so the first, you know, big, I'd say massacre was when a lot of these educated people went to this meeting and they were pretty much killed, right? And the next step was uh, burning all the books and records. And, you know, most of us around that time, you know, whether it's my age or my parents' age, didn't have records of when they were born You know, I actually still have a a birth date that actually was just a made-up birth date, right? And um, my real birthday is actually in May. And so just things like that happened to a lot of us refugees that came and left Cambodia right around that time. And we left in... We ended up leaving in 79, but between 75 and 79, I mean, my parents were going from village to village, working at different camps for these Khmer Rouge, right? My dad and my mom... Never, and most most people who were enslaved never told the Khmer Rouge that you're educated. Because if you are, then you're gonna die. And so, but you know, they knew my dad was. I think they probably they they pretty much knew that he was educated, that he was a math teacher. They had him working on bridges and helping them farm, and you know, because most of these Khmer Rouge, they weren't like educated adults a lot of them were young kids that were brought in to kind of become kamaru soldiers right and so when they went to take over a village or a town or whatever then they'd have these young kids just kind of monitor that area and when they needed something done they would go to the the citizens within that village and try to get help right okay well how do i do this how do i do this how do i how do i grow coconuts how do i plant cucumbers you know stuff like that how do i build this bridge and so my mom worked out in the field my dad would leave you know he'd he'd be gone three to six months at a time you know during that period just doing different things for them and then when he got to come home then we'd get to see him so that was you know my childhood when so I was about maybe three two and a half to three when they came in and so from there until about 79 you know I was there and I don't know. I I, I remember some. um, I remember prior to the Khmer Rouge where I used to go to my grandpa's farm. He had a fruit farm. We'd just go there and play and eat fruit and uh, try to jump on the the hogs. I remember my cousin and I doing that when we were super young. (laughs) Yeah, but after that, I don't remember a whole lot. I do remember, you know, my mom kept me pretty, you know, naive to everything that was going on. You know, she would never tell me what was going on. She you know, if something bad was happening. Whether it be gunshots or whatever, she would just say, "Oh, Alan, hey, let's just let's just keep it down. Let's not be too loud right now." Me not knowing why I shouldn't be loud, you know. So but you there don't were shot? yeah, <laughs> but there were soldiers all around the village shooting, wow. and so at that time, at that point, I am, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty. Uh, uh, what's the word? Yeah, my mom just shielded me from a lot of the stuff that was going on which is great, I guess. Um, I, I really probably didn't really need to know any of that stuff. When she had me take care of my sister, there was a time there when you are taken to go and work at the fields, then you can't bring your kids with you, right? You're too young. We were too young. And so the soldier said, well, you don't have to find a babysitter or whatever. Uh, back then, your, your rationing was a bowl of rice, and that bowl of rice didn't have lots of grains it was just a little bit of of rice and so that's what you had for for the day and you know i remember my mom said that when she had babysitters she'd also heard that you can't really trust the babysitters because they'll eat the kids food and so at that point she just said no i'm gonna have you watch over your sister and um And then I'll come and check up on you every once in a while. So you're like
1: a six-year-old watching over a younger sister? Yeah, I was
0: like, uh, yeah, yeah, between five and six, I think, around that time. And so my mom would go out. They'd bring the food. I'd make sure Rajna get fed. Then I would eat. And then it was just like that. And then, um, you know, if I got a chance to go outside with my sister, and normally they make a a decent-sized bonfire right in the middle of the village, I'd go and catch little insects and stuff like that and go and roast it, bring it back, and my sister and I would eat that. I do remember those, those things, but um, you know, some of the other stuff I don't, I don't remember too well. I remember my mom and dad would say or, or tell us about certain stories. I was like, mm, I don't remember that part. And so I don't ever get like weird flashbacks or weird... I don't. Um, um, a lot of the memories that I've had when I was in Cambodia... Uh, they were all good memories, um, until I hear stories from my mom and dad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? Okay.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. So how old were you when you left Cambodia?
0: I was, it was 79, so I was six years old when we left Cambodia. And at that time there, one of my dad's friends who, who taught school with them had already made it to the Thai camp with his family. We were still there. And then one of my other dad's friends was in the U.S. already. And then, and then there was another teacher... Um, that was there that was also in Thailand. And so the uh, one of my dad's friends had heard that there was a guide going back to Cambodia to a certain area where we were at. Um, and he says, I want you to go look for the Eve family. And when you find them, I need you to tell them they have to come back with you. And I know my mom and dad had said that we had tried to escape a couple times prior, but it just never worked out. You know, one time we were about to escape and that morning my dad's, Eyes were completely swollen, his knees were completely swollen, of course, all through uh, all because of malnutrition. And so we could, we couldn't go with the guide, so we had to stay. But this time, um, the guide came, told us that, you know, a friend of yours told me to come look for you, and we've got to go, you know, this next morning. <clears throat> and my mom, she tells a really neat story where. That uh, that night before, you know, she she has this dream where an angel comes down, and you know, because she was really just like you know, she was praying, and she's like, hey, you know, I don't. She's a Buddhist, right? My whole family, they're Buddhists, and and she she said that she was praying, she didn't know what to do, and things were just getting really bad, and and she said an angel came to her in a dream, and um, I'm trying to remember the, the, the whole story. No, she, her, her, her prayer was, look, I don't know, you know, what's out there, but there's got to be somebody out there, somebody greater than human beings that are on this earth. And she said, whoever's out there, whatever spirit is out there, whatever good is out there, you know, please let me know what I'm supposed to do, um, help us, and, um, and uh, you know, because there's no... There's no understanding or comprehension of of Christ in Cambodia, right? There there wasn't any of that back then. I mean, even, you know, the like the Catholic Church or the Christian, the closest was probably like Vietnam. Um, that's where they spent a lot of their missionary work. But in Cambodia, I still think it was very very minimal um, around our time. And so, so um, now in, in this dream, she sees this angel, all in white, and. And says, you know, everything will be okay, you guys will have to get your stuff, and you guys will have to leave. And um, then that next day, this guy comes and, uh, and gathers them up to, to go. And there is definitely lots of stories between that time and the time that um, the Khmer Rouge first came in. That's in my mom's biography. But So we leave, and it is, uh, you know, you, you walk really early You sleep over in the forest. This is kind of like the trek you go through. And then the next day you walk in and then you get to the Thai border. And that's where the Red Cross kind of helps you out. Yeah, I I do remember, uh, you know, some stories about on the way there, we had stopped to eat. Well, we we'd camped. My dad went out to go. My dad and the guide and whoever else was there. There There's like two or three families that was with us. Um, And and I don't know, if I, I didn't say it, but the reason why you have to have a guide it's because there's landmines that's been planted all over the place. That's right. right? Yes. So a family, a person can't just get up and just start going. I mean, they can try, but most families die because they don't know the, ba- you know, the path to get to Thailand. Without stepping on a landmine. Without stepping on a landmine, yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> well, you know, as we're, as we're going that night, I think my dad went and caught some eel or something like that and, and brought some it back. eel? Eel, yeah. Yeah, fresh water eel. Just like chicken? I guess so. But, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, so of course we cooked it up and ate it. And I guess the next day when we're walking out and there's uh, apparently there's like dead bodies all over this area, right? And in the lake that the eel was caught from, right? But they didn't, of course, see that. So it's kind of like, so you think of stories like that and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm still alive, right? Wow. I've probably had. Did you ever see the three Migos where they eat bats? (laughs) <laughs> i've seen the three amigos but i don't remember that part it's <laughs> a funny part anyway sorry yeah, it's probably probably about just as gross but yeah. you just know, think about all the <clears throat> all the things that could have happened the disease you could have caught we probably did catch but you know body was able to fight it off and and you actually you know make it to thailand so did you know about these landmines when you were walking through these areas no, I mean me as a kid, no. They, my, they didn't my, tell you. mom but they my was just like you follow and you yeah, don't. My mom and dad knew. Yeah. They knew for sure. Like me, no. And so my dad had put together a, a handcart and we had a bike and that's how we made it. You know, we we took that as far as we could. And then uh, but that's what kind of carried some of the stuff. It's not like we brought a whole lot, but So you're like a
1: handcart pioneer.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 There there are actual handcarts out outside of, you know. What the what our pioneers did here.
1: Wow. Yep. That's crazy. And so, so you went through this mine a literal minefield. Yep. And then you got on a boat or
0: a plane or what nope. happened? There? <clears throat> Walked all the way to the Thai border. Okay. Once you walk to the Thai border, then the Red Cross, not only from the U.S. but but you know the Thai Red Cross, will take you in, and then they'll put you in whatever camp is closest or had room, right? And there's a few camps. And the biggest camp that everybody knows is the kawi camp. And so we were there, and we were there for 18 months. And while we were there, the family that got to the U.S. in like 73 or 75, they were already sponsored by a, uh, an American family in Washington State. And so they got word that we were in the Thai camp, and then they filed for paperwork with this other American family to help bring us over. Okay. And, and that's how we ended up in Washington State. Okay. So from there, yes, at that point then we went to the airport. We had a stop in Hong Kong and then came to Washington State.
1: On plane. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So,
1: so you were six years old when you got to Washington State?
0: No, I was got. I was six when I got to Thailand. So I was almost eight when I got so to Washington. So you were in a refugee camp for two years. Yeah, we were. We were at the refugee camp for eighteen months. Wow. And, um, and even there, I didn't have any like bad memories or weird flashbacks about the camp. It was surprisingly, you know, you now hear of horror stories of what goes on at refugee camps and stuff like that. You know, since I've been here in the U.S., but boy, you know, it was... Your parents shielded you from all that? I, I think so, but even then, I remember just playing with friends. I remember going to school. I remember eating noodles. I remember drinking my first soda there. I remember eating, like, a Laffy Taffy-type candy there. It was first time for, for all that stuff. And it was it was good memories for me. Wow. But my parents probably different, right? They're, they're out there... <laughs> worried to death. Yeah, worried to death. Okay, where are we going to go from here, uh, you know... How are, gonna gonna, yeah, how are we going to get out of here? Yeah, how are we going to get out of here, right? That's, that's everybody's goal when you're at the camp. And at the camp, you got, you got kids that are missing. You've got adults that have been separated from family members. Everybody's trying to find each other. And, I mean, it's, you know, but I didn't, I didn't see any of the, the wow. bad stuff.
1: So I know as part of your story, so you ended up in Washington, and then I know you ended up at BYU-Idaho. Tell us about what what happened in those years in between.
0: We get to Washington State, and the family that had sponsored us over, they were LDS, and it was like a year and a half later, I think. they, uh, I'm sure they were uh, a part of it, but some missionaries came to the door, and it was was funny because I still... Stay in touch with him, Elder Christensen. He's out here in Twin Falls. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a doctor there. Uh, Really, really neat family, really neat guy. And they had just opened up the Cambodian-speaking mission there. And he was one of the first ones there. And taught my mom and dad. And, you know, I know that they probably didn't understand everything, you know, before they got baptized. But I think to them... You know, in the Asian culture, you're really loyal to whoever helps you out. And, you know, whether that, you know, you know to me, I was always like, oh, you know, what if what if it was, a, you know, Catholic Church or, or a different denomination, of the Christian Church, and they had invited us. Well, I wonder what would have happened to us, right? Mm-hmm. Would we have still converted to be LDS at this time? I don't know, right? Just don't know, but. So as a Buddhist, I mean, this is so interesting because
1: you probably never heard of Jesus. You didn't, you didn't know anything about him. mm were you were you like really staunchly Buddhist, or were you just like eh, whatever we don't culturally
0: really, Buddhist? Culturally Buddhist. Yeah, we'd go. Okay. Yeah, we'd get, we'd get here and we'd go. Of course, that's where most of the Asian population went on a Saturday, as you'd go to the temple, and you mainly just go there to mingle, eat. You can go and and give donations as well, and it's just a cultural thing. I think you know most of the laws or or Rules that the Buddhists and the Buddhist monks that that are doing their chants really just kind of it's not it's not like we you you're learning you know a certain doctrine about anything you're just going there and culturally it's like hey look you know be good people you know do good to others you know stuff like that but nothing nothing really about you know doctrine and stuff like that
1: are the Buddhists the ones that shave their
0: heads yeah they all shave they wear the so orange you yep.
1: guys weren't you weren't, you weren't never going to become a Buddhist monk or anything?
0: Nope, nope. And, and not only that, but when they're there and they do their chants, it's a language that we don't even understand. It's a language that most adults don't even understand, right? They have different languages for different groups of people, hmm. right? So for the common folks, you speak a certain way. For, you know, if you're into the religion, it's a completely different vocabulary. If you're royal completely different language I mean not language but just different vocab mm-hmm. and so I, I never really understood any of that anyhow yeah which is really interesting because you know on the mission I went Cambodian speaking this is years later and um, and then at that point I started reading some of the the Buddhist manuals right oh and just kind of like so ah. you can read
1: is it Cambodian is that the language mm-hmm. yep so you I went Cambodian that, speaking fine, yeah yeah
0: yep I went to DC South Cambodian speaking on the mission but oh, wow. um But yeah, so when um, you know, when when we first got to the U.S., you know, we just spent most of our Saturdays just going to we call it the ward, which is the temple, and um, most of our friends were there. Um, But then when we, when my mom and dad decided to get baptized, they had formed a small Asian branch in Bellevue, Washington, and then they had called on you know quite a few of the Caucasian families from the different wards and. That became a small branch. Oh, it was the neatest experience. It was really, really cool. And it's not like it was cool because I was then indoctrinated and completely understood the gospel. No, I had nothing to do with that. I still was clueless about the gospel until I got to college, you know. But it was just neat to, to build relationships with the Caucasian families and make friends with their kids and grow up with them. Oh, it was a blast. And uh, so I, I enjoyed... Going to church, I enjoyed the activities most. I enjoyed the the families that were called there because they were just such good people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just... It was neat because... I mean, just any big organization, there's... Not everybody's good. I don't care what you say. You know, not every eldest family is good. Not every Buddhist family is good. Not every Catholic family is good. I mean, everybody's just different. Um, but there wasn't... There was just never anything I disliked when I was growing up and, and, and was in the Asian branch, and then, which then later became the Asian ward. It was just so neat. And, and all those families that were a part of you know, my family's life and a lot of the Asian families' lives, I mean, it was just, it was just the neatest, neatest experience. That was hmm. really, really cool. So how old were you when you got baptized? Were you about eight? Yeah, I was about eight, maybe a little bit a little bit older than that. But yeah, right okay. around there.
1: So your family kind of joined more of his loyalty than...
0: I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, they knew that... the had, story it, of Joseph Smith and Jesus and everything. Yeah, and then they knew that it couldn't be that bad if you've got these good people who <laughs> sponsored us over from Thailand and made sure we were okay, made sure we, we knew how to get housing, made sure we knew how to get you know food stamps and all that stuff. I was like, you know... And so... How
1: bad can this be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How bad can this be? And,
0: you know, and then the missionaries, of course, you know, my mom and dad, I'm sure they felt something, um, something special. And, you know, got missionaries who were willing to learn the language. And I think once they understood that, I'm sure they felt it. I'm sure they felt the spirit and and really were converted at that point. You know, understanding the gospel, that's a different story. I mean, even... Even most well-versed LDS folks, I don't think, really understand the doctrine that well. And it's like, who cares? The simple thing is, hey, you know. You know. The golden rule. Golden rule, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think that's what really converted my my my, my parents. It's just, you know, probably just the simple stuff and the spirit touched them.
1: And so what made you decide to go to BYU-Idaho? It
0: was the only college I applied to. <laughs> But why there? Why not something Uh, in Washington? Yeah, yeah, because I had no interest in in Washington State anymore. My high school year was, it was fun. I had a lot of neat friends. Not a lot of them were LDS. I played sports. Um, Which sports? I did, I wrestled and I played football.
1: Mm. Um, What position? Football.
0: In football, I played cornerback all the way through, except for my senior year. Then they had me at slot receiver. Well, that was really fun. Yeah, really bet. fun. My, my, my claim to fame. Is it to hit or get hit? It was funny to hit. <laughs> so, so my only claim to fame really is I got a letter from the Iowa Hawkeyes.
1: Oh, really? I
0: did. I was like,
1: what? no way, Big Ten.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yep. But uh, you know, I was like five foot nothing, and it's like, what are you gonna do, right? But it was cool. It was yeah. cool. It was really neat. Um, yeah, I showed it to my brother, and yeah, it was it was neat. But I loved it. I loved sports. I loved, I loved everything about sports, and that was actually one of the neat things about the, um, the branch. We'd always have outings, and when we had outings, we'd have some type of sport event, whether it's kickball, baseball, softball, football. It was just really neat, and then I got into it, and you know, back then, when the refugee families came here, I mean, there was a lot, right? You had a lot in the California, Long Beach area. You had a lot in the East Coast. You had a lot in you know, like Boston, Texas, yeah. you know, even Fillmore had a lot of Cambodian families. Which, oh, really? Yeah, I was like so surprised. But um, in, in you know, probably places where there were smaller towns, I don't think it was as bad. But out in like Seattle, Long Beach, there was just lots of these gangs that were forming. And those were the things that my mom and dad, you know, was like, whoa, what's going on? Okay, you, you can't go and hang out with these other Asian kids in the neighborhood and stuff like that. And so that was his way of making sure I didn't was he encouraged me to do sports, mm. which was really neat. And I, I loved it. And so my, my brother and my two sisters, we all did sports throughout high school and just just had a blast. But, yeah, that was the biggest thing was there was a lot of gangs that were forming in Seattle, and it was just getting really bad. And so they was coming into the Bellevue area. I think the Bellevue area was um, – just a little bit nicer area for sure than, than certain parts of Seattle. But it did. It came in. But I'm just glad that I never got involved with any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's not like I was the best kid. I wasn't like this, you know, white shirt, nice tie, um, good <laughs> LDS kid. No, I was just uh, I was just me and um, had lots of, you know, fun friends in, in high school. And never really thought much about the gospel. So then when my senior year came around, I was like, oof. What am I going to do? I, I remember my dad asked me one time, he's like, so are you going to go on a mission, right? And I'm like, oh. And I remember sitting, standing in the kitchen and him asking me. Nobody was around. And I said, I, I don't think I'm going to go. And his face, oh, he, oh his face. Because, I mean, you know, you got you to think about this. This whole entire time, we've had Caucasian families that have come into the ward, really helped out really helped just kind of like you know build our character and 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 we've built such a great friendship and loyalty to mm-hmm. the families that have helped us out and for him to hear me say that and in the asian culture that's just so disrespectful really bad mm-hmm. like really bad I don't think you understand how bad that is, right? It's kind of like turning your back on somebody.
1: You know? I have a Chinese friend, and so I... I okay. Similar, uh,
0: but, and it's not disrespectful to my dad. Sure, it's disrespectful to my dad, but my dad doesn't want to lose face with all the other families, right? Uh, okay. I mean, as soon as he announces, now my son's not going to go to on a mission, I'm sure he's going to be like, oh, live... It. And he was. He was so mad at me, and... Uh, I wasn't really sure if I wasn't going to go, was going or not. To me, I just wanted to learn more about the gospel before I went. And <clears throat> that's why I chose Ricks College. I knew no— Oh,
1: oh so it was Ricks. It wasn't BYU at all yeah, the time. Yeah, it was Ricks
0: back then. Okay. And I knew there was no other school that was going to be able to give me that experience besides Ricks. And at that time, I hadn't even thought about BYU, and I didn't really care about BYU. I wanted to go somewhere small. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, yeah, so one of the church leaders talked about a place called Rick's. You should apply there. I said, oh, okay, I'll do that. So I applied there with a friend of mine. And, yeah, that was where I took my Book, I took the book of Mormon class, of course, as one of my courses. And, you know, yeah, that, that first week there, you know, we had, we had this teacher, Brother Nye, a neat, neat guy. And I had seminary and stuff like that, but, yeah, I mean, what do you really learn at seminary? I, <laughs> Maybe you do, but I didn't. It was
1: early morning, right? Yeah. You early... were probably sleeping through it, Yeah, right? yeah. That's what's nice about Utah. I'm glad I never had to do early morning. My sisters did, but I never had to do it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I never gained anything from there. I <laughs> went there because I had to, and even then I didn't show up most of the time. <laughs> but when I was at Rick's, this, this class was really the only thing I wanted to concentrate on. I would care less about all the other classes, and it was just such a good experience for me. I started reading And, uh, I mean, he would sit there, and we would have, you know, a chapter or two to go through, and we would just read it verse by verse, verse by verse. I'd look around during class, and everybody, a lot of people were just asleep, but not me. I was so, I was just totally into it. It was awesome. It was a neat experience. And then reading it after class, I would always read ahead, and it was just neat. And I felt it, and um, I kind of understood then what the book was about, and it wasn't, you know, to me, I had always imagined it a book of just, here's a list of all of these rules that you've got to follow, right? Because that's what it was in, in, in the Cambodian pamphlet, right? Oh. Here's a booklet. Here are all the rules that you'd follow to be a good human being and to be a good Buddhist, right? Okay. And so I was always scared to open that because I'm like, i don 't want to learn about all these rules i don 't want to be i don't want to be ruled over right and um, but once I realized what the book was about, I was like, This is amazing stuff yeah. and uh, I definitely felt felt the spirit so many times and then at that point I also had a i also had a friend well I built some really nice friendships with some Some of the kids there. One of the kids who really changed my life too is uh, his name was Jeff, Jeff Clark. And maybe he's listening to me now, but uh, he passed away. Send this to him. Yeah, well, no, he passed away. Oh. It was a crazy event. Sorry. Big, half German, half Mexican kid, and um, got recruited by, I mean, all the top schools for football, every single one. And he's from California, from San Jose. Running, he played running back and linebacker, and this kid was just just solid, and um, and he said, "No, nah, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna go to Rick's, right?" So he was telling me the story. I was like, "Why, why, why would you, you know, not?" Yeah, he had scholarships to all of these schools, and said, eh, I just wasn't really interested. Maybe uh, I'm thinking of going on a mission." I was like, "What, really?" And that's when I started thinking about the mission stuff as well. I mean, I knew I wanted to, and especially. After reading the book and get, gaining a testimony, I for sure wanted to. But this is early on, right? When we first met up, we were talking. And I was like, wow, you know, you've got this big guy. He's still chewing tobacco, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he wanted to just change. Not at Ricks, I hope. <laughs> so he, 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 he still had the he still had the little outline uh-huh. of the tobacco thing on, in his jeans. <laughs> Both him and I had really bad habit of, of swearing. Um, we swore a lot. But... When I heard that he was going to do that, one day I was coming home. I remember saying something, and I, and I said, uh, uh, you know, and I was swearing. He's like, he like, Alan, 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 you can't, you can't swear anymore. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I'm going to go on a mission. I was like, no way. All right. Done deal. I won't swear anymore. Wow. And then so then when he decided, and then I told him, I said, all right, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. And then my other roommate, he said, okay, I'll go as well. And so, um, yeah, that's when we all decided that we were going to go, was when we were at Rick's. Wow. Yeah, it was neat.
1: And so you went to D.C., Cambodian
0: speaking? Yep, D.C., South, Cambodian speaking. How was that? Uh, it, it was awesome. It, it was really, really neat. You know how every missionary will say that it's really awesome, and I, I can understand why. I'm sure there's so many missionaries that, I don't know, maybe for one thing or another, it wasn't a great experience for them. But for me, it was. I didn't really care to do anything else but go out and build relationships and share the gospel with people. And it was neat. It was just, it was perfect for me. Had I gone before I went to Rick's, no, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. Um, Maybe I would have. Maybe then I would have been reading the Book of Mormon and was able to gain the testimony myself. But I think I really needed that help. I, I really needed Brother Nye to kind of encourage me to kind of read and pray about it. You know, why didn't I do that with all of my other teachers growing up from church? I don't know. I was just probably too young. I wasn't ready for it, you know. And so, um, yeah, it was just uh, it was a great experience.
1: So being Cambodian, did you have a connection with the Hindu or the Buddhist um converts there did I think,
0: that help at all I, yeah i think it helped but a lot of times it also didn't help right because because the members you know some of the members kind of understood that the church helped out and so you know i think a lot of times they just took a little bit advantage of it right and so i think when you meet them they're like oh here's a cambodian missionary oh he kind of understands my intentions. Oh, okay. Right? And so sometimes it was really good because they, I, you know, um, I'm Cambodian and it was good. I can relate. But a lot of times it was, oh, you're Cambodian too? Okay, well, you probably already know why. Right? And, and so it, it didn't really help. Oh, that's interesting. I know. That's the part. I thought it was interesting as well because I figured that out when I was on the mission. Mm hmm that some of the families were like, oh, I understand why you're going to church now. Okay, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Hopefully the spirit still still converts, yeah. So when
1: did you meet Wendy? I I, I should have asked her that question, but tell us how you you guys met. We
0: were, so when I was at Rick's, oh, I graduated from Rick's, transferred to BYU Provo, and we met out here. Um, My sister actually cheered for BYU. Oh, and she also was doing a medical, co- medical assisting course, and that's where she met Wendy. Uh-huh. So a year prior, she actually tried to set Wendy and I up, and I thought she was trying to set us up, me up with one of her cheerleading friends, and I was like, nope, no thanks. Oh, really? I didn't even bother asking questions. She said, oh, I've got a nice friend. Uh, nope. And, uh, but then a year later, one of my good friends and one of her good friends that she grew up with in, back in... Um, the colonies set us up on a blind date oh wow and so actually on the way out to our date I have a a picture of my family hanging off the room mirror and then she looks and she's like hey is that Raj now or is Raj now your sister and I was like wait how do you know her <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I realized and she's like oh I did a medical assisting course with her I was like oh, I think you're the one that she was trying to set me up with. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so that was that was how we met. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Well, this is great. You know, I haven't had to ask you any questions because you just go right through it. Let's back up a little bit, though. What family relationships have had the most impact on your life?
0: I'd probably say the relationship between my brother and I. He's 10 years younger than me. You know, of course, my, my parents and I, you know our relationship is there, but my brother, you know, growing up, you're, you're you're ten years older. I don't. I wanted to make sure that that he always had somewhere to hang out with, um, and he had lots of friends. But I wanted to make sure that you know, me growing up, I was the guinea pig of the family, <laughs> right? You're the oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest. I go through middle school. I'm in ESL. I'm in middle school. I'm in high school. All these things. I mean, every little goof up I did, my brothers and sisters didn't have to, you know, didn't have to uh, fall for that. Making friends was hard, right? Making friends with Caucasian kids were really hard growing up. You know, this is back in the 80s where, um, you know, I think it was a bit harder. You know, a lot of, a lot of the Asian folks that had, were refugees were, you know, they, they liked to kind of stick with each other um, mm-hmm. just because we felt more comfortable that way. Right. But, uh, and so I wanted to make sure that he didn't have to go through all that stuff. And and he didn't, you know, he was born in the U.S. You know, by then, it it was just different, you know. Everybody was already kind of used to, you know, refugees and stuff like that. And so all of his friends were all Caucasians. Uh You know, but at the same time, I still wanted to make sure that he always excelled in whatever he did. Because to me, doing sports is really what helped me to gain lots of friends. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the kids that were refugees that were my age, they struggled. They struggle because they couldn't do sports. Their parents weren't supportive. Um, they struggle because of not having a lot of friends, and that's why these gangs get formed, right? Mm. And I just wanted to make sure that none of that was going to be happening to my brother. I didn't think he would, but you just never know. Right. Uh, and uh, no, but and always you wanted him to really excel in sports and stuff like that. So I would always play sports with him. And I think the hardest, the hardest time. Was when I the day I left to Rick's college, right? He was I'm, I think he was in probably still in elementary. Oh, it was so sad for the both of us. He started mm. crying. He normally doesn't cry. Well, no, he is crying. He was a crybaby when he was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> but he cried, you know, because he was really sad. Yeah. Um, and it it was it was neat. I, uh, I I'd say that that relationship really, you know, even though I was a loose cannon in high school. The one thing I was, always wanted to make sure was that my brothers and sisters were taken care of, that no one was going to mess with them, no one was going to try to take advantage of them, um, that they would feel comfortable at school, they would feel comfortable wherever they went, they wouldn't get bullied or anything like that. I, I went through all that. Not that I was ever bullied or anything like that, but I could see a trend of people when they take a look at you and they when they look down on you they think you know they can treat you different i never wanted that for my brothers and sisters right, right? with me i'm like you're not going to treat me any different cuz i'm going to <laughs> right and that's our group of our group of uh, friends were all like that we we were all tight knit um, we were all good asian kids but we just we just yeah just didn't didn't want to be looked down on and mm-hmm. so that relationship there that I had with my brother, just making sure that him and at least my sisters were taken care of. Sounds like you were a good good big brother. Yeah, I think I was. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I was a pretty good big brother.
1: Oh, cool. So tell us about your professional life. What's, what's that like?
0: Um, I've done quite a bit of stuff, but overall I really enjoy sales. Right now I have a software company and... Um, you know, I've had that for a little while now. Um, but we go out and we sell these little tracking devices to construction and companies that rent out heavy equipment. And that's what our software does, just tracks stuff and pulls the data. And I got into the software side because at one point, when I was doing, um, you know, even while I was college, I had a couple of small companies and then I wanted to do land and development. And then after that big crash, I was like, oh. You know, I wanted something that can bring in the residual income. And so that's why I got into the software gig. And yeah, that's where I'm at now. Still, still doing that.
1: Cool. Yeah. So you own, a, you own a software company? You know mm-hmm. what it is? Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. What life experiences caused you most to trust in God?
0: Anything with my family. That, that's the main thing. You well, know, there's lots of outside stuff that kind of detracts from that, right? But when it comes to family, you just kind of, that's thats the main thing. Um, families, close friends. Um, I'm really loyal to uh, to my friends and my family. And, you know, anything I can do to just kind of hang out, be with them, be a good person, be helpful. Uh, that's what I try to do, you know. And I know Wendy, Wendy talks about how we, we try to be you know, keep to ourselves, and I do, I don't, you know, I don't want to bother anybody, I don't want to be overwhelming to anybody, right, and so you just try to keep to yourselves, and, you know, but if I get an opportunity to make a new friend, oh, I I enjoy that, right, I I really like to do that, but I just don't like to go out of my way and just kind of, I don't know, if if we can make friends, great, if we can't, oh, that's all right, right, because to me, what's most important is, my family here, and then my family, you know, that that I grew up with, um, that's that's the most important to me.
1: Well, cool. I, I know when I asked your wife about that, she talked about Alyssa losing your daughter. You've had quite an amazing life. Is that just kind of just another thing, <clears throat> another trial you've had to go through? or? Oh, that one, man, that is... So I... We probably should tell what happened to Alyssa. Maybe some
0: people don't. Yeah. Know. So Alyssa grew up with a heart murmur. She's had that ever since she was born. Um, she had Williams syndrome. Was kind of like a. Uh, it's not as as severe as Down syndrome, but there's some characteristics of somebody with Williams syndrome. Um, physically, you know, she's got like a button nose, bigger ears. Socially, she is very social, mm. and and they they, they can't they can't comprehend being overly social. They're just happy, and they're outgoing, they're very talented musically, and, um, you know, but as she grew, and she, you know, it... it there's learning disabilities as well, um, but man, we, when we first found out what she had, we started her with like, speech therapy and crawling and all this stuff to make sure that she at least, even though she was delayed, she would eventually, you know, and she loved to read eventually. I mean, she was reading these big books where I'm like, oh, my gosh. I think the biggest book I read was like 25 pages, Alyssa. She's <laughs> reading all the Twilight series. I was like, jeez. Oh, really? Amazing, amazing, amazing human being. And um, so, yeah, so i never been hospitalized. Hardly got sick. And, and when she got sick, it was just a cold. There was never anything. And so, but we did notice, and the doctor did notice because we'd go and do yearly checkups or every two years we'd go check up. He's like, heart seems like it's working a bit more than before. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we put her through a whole bunch of tests, and the doctor recommended that we, it's probably a good time to replace that valve. And it's like, okay. And so, yeah, that surgery just didn't go well. Something happened. Don't know what. They just said that her heart collapsed a couple times during the surgery. And and then so still very hopeful. We were looking for another heart. But the whole process was two months long. Just crazy. And then um, she ended up dying from a blood clot. Mm. And that's, you know, I'm surprised I'm able to talk about it without crying. But it's just ah that that two months was rough Wendy and I spent every night there you know either, either her or I there for two months my mom and dad flew out here to help watch the kids and so for those two months we were there at the hospital and it looked like she was getting better and then all of a sudden boom that blood clot and burst and that was it yeah
1: so how old was she when she died? 17,
0: hun? Yeah, yeah, was 17
1: huh? yeah seventeen.
0: yeah Going. Yep. She died in July or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. So that was that was really tough. Of course, on on everybody. You know, I think the brothers probably took it the hardest, even though they didn't. They don't say much about it. Um, you know, just because, you know, as a as parents and as close of a family that Wendy has and I have, you always want your kids to be close. But when they're at that age, they're just kids, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just. And so I think it was just that time when, you know, Alan and Anthony and Alyssa and all of them were just kind of like, they weren't like the best, best of buddies, right? But during that time in, in the hospital, they, they all, you know, felt probably bad that they, you know, probably didn't treat her as well as they should have. And after she passed, it's like, oh, you know, what do you do? You, you can't mend anything. So I don't know if that really Hurts them a lot, but I, I know they think about that a lot. It's just, you know, you try to be good siblings, but at the same time, you just, you neglect the fact that you are siblings, and you neglect the fact that you should say I love you more, or I should treat you better, or you come hang out with me more. Um, and you, you don't think about that when you're young, and I totally understand that. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> that was definitely. I mean, it was tough with all of us because you know, her family's never had really a death. My family's never really had a death and it had to happen I mean not like it should have happened to anybody else but it's just like Alyssa's like this innocent like oh. so yeah. it was rough yeah well uh, what do you love most about the Westfield Second Ward? yeah I think what my wife had talked about I'm the type of person that she's the same it's like if something happens like I don't want any help right it's like just just let me be let me try to figure this out and, uh, you know, it's, it's nice that they did, and it's nice that they didn't care that we didn't really want them to. And, and you know, sometimes you just have to be that way to people, because we're stubborn. We're like, we don't want any help, and oh, it's just, just nuts. And so for them to do that, and, you know, I hope they realize how appreciative we are, because, you know, I know through the process I'm like... Don't do that. Don't do that, especially when they're putting on the garage sale. I'm like, come on, you guys, don't. Oh man, I just, I, I, I just don't want any attention, you know. But oh, it's just, it was really neat because it was definitely, um, definitely helpful. Um, they didn't have to do it. They didn't have to, but you know, they still went out of their way and 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 did it. And so I really love that, you know. And since then, uh, a lot of the members have have moved out. And so I hope those that did move out really knew how how much we appreciated their help and and all the things that they've done.
1: Yeah, yeah that's a good word. What was what would be your favorite calling that you would either like to do or or have done?
0: You know, my favorite calling or what I would like to do, I for sure do not like to teach. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> that's why I got funny because, that, because I'm you're like, the most memorable. Oh. Priesthood quorum teacher I've ever had. I think really. Oh man, I I just do not
0: like to teach. Um, but uh, I I enjoy being with the youth. I really do. Um, when we were in uh, the last calling I had was uh, scout assistant when we had scouts. Right. Whew, that was a blast. Oh really? Yeah, we we did that for five years. Me and me and brother Adams and oh it was it was awesome. You know, getting to see getting to see the kids you know, just grow up, you kind of catch them right when they're, like, eager to learn, eager to still impress people, you know, because once you get to, like, 15 or 16, they they'd want nothing to do with you, right, but at the age of 12, you know, they're still willing to come to the activities, they're still willing to go camping, they're still willing to go winter camping, <laughs> negative 20 in strawberry, and, uh, but, you know, that's, you know, ideally, um, that's, like, I like and I enjoy being with the youth. You, know, you Hopefully you can help impact their lives somehow with some of the stories that I've got, some of the things that I've done growing up. I do realize that I think some of my experience is really different, and you, I just hope that I can translate that to these kids. And, um, you, know, you, you never know if you, you can impact somebody or not, but at the end of the day, you always, you always hope that you've done Done, done that for somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Fantastic. All right. Well, if you could send one message 100 years in the future for your posterity to hear, what would it be?
0: I'd, I'd, I'd say to just be true to yourself, be honest to yourself, be able to laugh at yourself, let people laugh at you. I think that's, that's you know, to me, that helped me growing up. I really never cared. If I couldn't do something at first, I didn't care that people laughed with me or at me um, while I was attempting stuff. It was just fun, right? That just helps you grow. If you take all that stuff personally, then uh, you just can't be a joy to the people around you. But I'd say that's probably the my main message is you know, be a real person. Be honest, honest with yourself. Be honest with the people around you. you know, no, no need to be fake. Well, cool. Well, is there anything we missed? Anything I think we so. should know about Alan. No, not really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. All right. Well, you have an amazing story. The whole minefield thing just blows my mind, and I'm so glad you're in the ward and and you're such an asset to the to us here. So
0: appreciate. it. Oh, thanks, thanks, Rick. Thanks. Appreciate you thanks for this. Thanks for the interview. That was fun.
1: All right. Thanks.